This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon. Good to be with you again. Um, You may, uh, you may well not, uh, remember... Uh, the last time I was here with you, uh, oh, some of you do. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm not very good at choosing titles, so uh, I was uh, I was asked, well, would you like us to uh, to allocate your title? I said, yes, please, that'd be great. Uh, and it was the meaning behind the hymn. Um, I might have chosen him actually. Abide with me, um, or it was allocated to me. So. On that occasion, I gave quite a lot of uh, a biography of the composer, the writer, sorry, of the, of the words Henry Francis Light, although he did compose a tune to go with it as well, which isn't the, the hymn that we sing. Um, when I came to look at The Lord's My Shepherd, um, th- there wasn't really so much biography to do because um, it was a part of the Scottish Psalter from about 1650 onwards, um, and uh, I'm not sure a great deal is known. If if it is, I don't really know. Uh, that, well, I didn't find it anyway. Any detail as to who actually composed the words? Um, I know that um, the tune Crimond, uh, which is a place in Scotland, I think it's in Scotland, um, near the east coast, um, was composed by a, a young girl. Um, she was probably in her teens at the time, <coughs> called Jessie S. Irvin. Um, and it was, it, it might actually have been in the form of a, um, sorry, I'm just feeling a bit small with this, it's stuck up here in front of me, it's set for Chris's height, not mine. So uh, I hope you can see me better now, or those of you who wish you couldn't, sorry. Um, yeah, Jessie S. Irvin. So it was almost like um, uh, a, a compositional uh, task that she was uh, asked to carry out, I think. It was almost like part of her matriculation where... Anyway, th- that, that's, that's the tune Crimmond came from Jessie S. Irving as a very young woman. So I don't know the meaning behind the hymn. When, when I was talking to you about Abide With Me, I, I had a strong sense that, that, that Henry Light w- was, knew that he was, he was facing his, his mortality, etc., and, and that that um, had a very strong bearing on the, the, the import and the significance of the words. Um, whereas, obviously, The Lord's My Shepherd, the hymn, is based very solidly on Psalm 23. So, if we want, I suppose if we want the meaning behind the hymn, we need to look at what it meant to uh, the composer of the, uh, the psalm, who was David. David the the shepherd king uh, and the idea of the shepherd king apparently was um, had come about in, in Egyptian times I think the Hyksos as I, as I was reading because I do occasionally do a bit of research into talks um, the, 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 the term Hyksos referred to uh, shepherd king um, maybe at times when um, well there was a time when the Jews, the, the, sorry, the Hebrews who had gone down into uh, Egypt were, were favourably favorably regarded as a, uh, as a result of Joseph. 
then of course we read also in Genesis that uh, a king, no, Exodus, a king came who uh, didn't know anything about Joseph and regarded the the, um, the Hebrew people uh, as a threat. They were so plentiful in numbers. They seemed to be so well uh, protected that they were regarded as a threat. But... Um, We'll come on to looking at God's dealings with those uh, people, uh, albeit fairly briefly, um, a little bit later. But the idea of God as shepherd um, has early origins in the in the scriptures um, that we have. So we could we could turn back to well um, as far back as, as Genesis, where Jacob is. Um, uh, looking back at the events of his life in, in chapter 48 of Genesis um, and Jacob's life is one of those when um, if, if he were written about in Hebrews can't remember offhand if he is um, it, would be, it would be with I won't say rose tinted spectacles that would be dishonouring it but, but, but the, the reassuring thing I find about the Bible is quite often when God looks back at somebody's life not invariably, but, but uh, he, he is willing to, to instruct those who write the scriptures to, to look back favorably at a life. And I think that gives us uh, quite a lot of hope that um, despite the fact that uh, in our day-to-day -day, uh, experiences, uh, we, we are all too painfully aware of our ups and downs and our failings, um, God on quite a few occasions is, is willing to look at a life as a whole and see that that was a life well lived not to dwell on the, the foibles and the mistakes here and there um, and, um, and Jacob looking back at his life is able to, to view it differently in a way than, than in his day-to-day -day struggle. So, verse 15, he blessed Joseph, uh, uh, verse 15 of Genesis 48, and said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day. Um, uh, we could read on. The angel who has redeemed me from all, uh, all harm, may he bless these boys. May they preserve my name and the names of Abraham and Isaac and may their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. That verse 16 is, is, is less relevant for our purposes. Now, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day. He has guided me. He has watched over me. He has protected me. He has provided for me. And as... if. <laughs> As you read Genesis, as you read Jacob's struggles and travails, we see so often the fact that he tried to sort things out for himself. He tried to find his own way of dealing with his challenges. But looking back, he recognises God was there. God was guiding and protecting and providing. Uh, coming on a little further, Jacob's uh, still speaking. Um, in verse um, 24 of chapter 49 
talking of his favourite son, Joseph. Archers attacked him savagely in verse 23. They shot at him and harassed him, but his bow remained taut and his arms were strengthened. Not in his own strength. He, 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 there were times when he was powerless to protect himself, but the Almighty was protecting him. His bow remained taut, his arms were strengthened by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, by the shepherd, the rock of Israel. So again, Jacob, looking back at his own life, could see the, the shepherding of God, but he could also see God at work in the, the life of his son Joseph, God's shepherding care. There are, there are plenty of references to, uh, to God as shepherd, and if we come back into the Psalms, uh, we'll just look at a couple more. Um, Psalm 95 and, uh, and at verse um, 6 come let us worship and bow down let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God we are the people he watches over the flock under his care the psalmist goes on to appeal to the people if only you would listen to his voice today this is, this, is the, this is the shepherd who has your best interests at heart he knows what it is that you need like a good shepherd knows how to pasture his flocks knows where to take his flock to for protection and for nourishment this is the God that watches over you, the psalmist says to the people of Israel. If only you would listen to his voice. If you just come back a little way uh, to Psalm 77, there was a, a, a verse. I don't know. Um, I don't know how it reads in the more traditional versions. Um, but there is sometimes a, a, a different feel from different versions. I mean, it, the old, uh, the, 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 the hymn, it, it could cause confusion to some, couldn't it, who, who aren't really uh, aware of the, the structure of the Scottish Psalter, which does some fairly strange things with the English language. I, I'm not having a go at the Scots, but, um, uh, the, you know, the, this thing, the Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. It sounds like he's the shepherd I don't want. It doesn't mean that at all, does it? I shall not be in want. I shall not be in lack. I shall not need anything. Um, but um, it, it, it does sound strange to our ears, doesn't it? Um, well, in the New Living Translation version of uh, Psalm 77 and verse 19... It's an interesting take on the Hebrews being brought out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. It says at verse 19 of Psalm 77, Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters. A pathway no one knew was there. Uh, you 
you tell me afterwards if that's d- radically different. But but it it was that a pathway no one knew was there that that that, that caught my attention in the New Living Translation. Well, there wasn't a pathway there, was there? Until God made it. It was the sea. And God had to part the waters to make a pathway through for the the children of Israel to make their way safely to the other side. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. I think we're probably all familiar with the idea of a sheep field or, or a, a field with livestock in it and there'll be a well-worn path through it. Um, and, and I don't think that's worn by ramblers and, and walkers. I think that's probably worn by the livestock. They, they tend to follow um, a path and where one goes, it may well be that, that others will follow. Um, well, it wasn't like this here, was it? This wasn't a this wasn't a field with a well worn path. This was a this was a, a a route that they didn't even know about. Um, it, it, there wasn't a path there, and um, I don't know if it's safe or dangerous to extrapolate out from that, but it, it would indicate to me that there are times when our lives. Uh, take paths that we weren't expecting a path that no one knew was there a path that we didn't foresee a path that we hadn't anticipated maybe a path that we didn't welcome at the time a turn of events that uh, threw us somewhat that through our lives into turmoil maybe certainly we can all identify times when something has come along in our lives that, that on one level we, we could have done without but God is still the shepherd he knows the path that he has laid out for us we don't, sometimes mercifully. A path no one knew was there. But God forged it for them. And he led them through it. To safety. There are times when circumstances come upon us. There's, there's times when we cause those circumstances. In the King of Love, my shepherd is, version of Psalm 23. Perverse and foolish, oft I strayed. And yet in love he sought me and on his shoulder gently laid and home rejoicing brought me. Psalm 68. You don't have to turn this up if you don't want. Psalm 68 and verse 19. Praise the Lord. Praise God our Saviour. For each day he carries us in his arms. Our God is a God who saves. The sovereign Lord who rescues us from death and I, I think that's particularly appealing to the image isn't it of the of the shepherd who sees the peril that the sheep has got itself into and who physically intervenes who lifts it out 
of, uh, of the danger that it's in. I was once uh, on the way home from Bible class midweek in Blackburn uh, with my very good friend and brother David Hanley uh, when we, we drove past uh, a sheep um, out on the road. Clearly shouldn't have been there. And, uh, and I said to David, I feel, like we should, <laughs> I feel like we should do something about this. And so I drove a little further down the road and he got out and um, a few minutes later appeared carrying the, <laughs> carrying the sheep. I think I was expecting him to sort of uh, shoo it along gently uh, until we found a gap in the fence. But no, David David took his role seriously and uh, physically carried the sheep back to the gate to the field where he could uh, place it. I just hope it was the right field and the right flock, but uh, we'll not stretch the analogy too far. But... <coughs> That was that was. I think that was going the extra mile or, or the extra couple of hundred yards with a sheep in your arms. And I was. I, I'll never forget that image of, of this slightly sheepish brother, uh, very sheepish brother at this point, um, with a, a rather wry look on his face, um, carrying the sheep. Well, there, that's God. Oh, that's that's what God says He will do. That's what the psalmist recognizes that God will do. There's times you get yourselves in a mess. There's times when you wander away and you, you're just on the wrong track. And sometimes God will intervene quite forcefully to bring you back. And the image is that he will carry you, he'll pick you up and he'll turn you around and he'll carry you back. David knew what that was all about. He knew what it was like to try and shepherd a flock. Literally and metaphorically when he came to be king of Israel. And it's a source of rejoicing, not a source of fear that we recognise this God. Psalm 100 Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Enter his courts fearfully, cringing and bowing, fearful of what the consequences of your sinfulness are. No, no, says the psalmist. Give thanks to God. He's a merciful, loving God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. For he is good, and his unfailing love continues forever. But there is a warning. It's an implied warning. He renews my strength, he guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. Because, this is verse 3 of Psalm 23. 
it's it's possible to bring dishonor to the name of God. And we need to recognize that fact. If we claim to follow and honor God, but deny it in the way that we behave, in the way that we live our lives, then we are not bringing honor to his name, whatever the words of our mouth. It's possible to bring dishonor. And the, the writer to the Romans in the New Testament talked about those people who, who viewed themselves as holy, who described themselves as holy, who boasted about their special relationship with God, but who were far from him. And it's a salutary passage. As Paul writes to the, the, the Romans in chapter 2 and verse 17, you who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law and you boast about your special relationship with him. Well, it, it maybe isn't just the Jews of 2,000 years ago. Maybe some of the Jews now. It may be anybody who professes a belief in God who boasts about their special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you've been taught his law, whether it's the Old Testament law or, or the New Covenant through the Lord Jesus. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. Yeah, that goes for many believers, doesn't it? You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God? For you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. You describe yourselves as being in the truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? Maybe not physically, but by, by the relationship with, with so many of the things that you value so highly. You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? Or do you worship all sorts of things? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say, the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. So anybody who, who says, yes, I worship God, I follow God, I am in the truth. It's a big claim to live up to. Non-believers, people who don't trust, who don't believe at all in the name of God, who don't believe in the entity of God. How effective is your witness to them? If you speak and preach in a certain way, but don't bear it out in the way you live. The prophet Isaiah warned the people. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Long ago my people chose to live in Egypt. Now they are oppressed by Assyria. Sorry, it's Isaiah 52 and verse 4. What is this, asked the Lord? Why are my people enslaved again? Those who rule them shout in exultation. 
My name is blasphemed all day long. Where is your protection, O Israel? Where is this God that you claim to know? This God that you claim a special relationship with? Well, you've turned away from him. You may call on his name with your voices, but what do you do with your lives? You oppress, you cheat, you persecute. What do you do with your lives? We know all too well, though, that even those who walk according to God's ways will face difficult, even dangerous, possibly even life-threatening situations in their lives. We are witness to that in this place, in this generation. Perilous times for those fleeing war zones and oppression of various kinds. Everybody ultimately faces the end of their life sooner or later even though believers of every generation believe that they are living in the last days and will see the return of the Lord Jesus. Was it Mark Twain who said two things certain in this life? Death and taxes. Someone else said words to the effect, I don't mind the thought of dying, it's the bit that comes before that I'm not keen on. It's something that faces all of us. And yet the psalmist is, is convinced that even if he goes, even if and when he comes to that point, there is an assurance that he has, that his ultimate, that his eternal well-being is in the hands of the Almighty, the one who can do all things. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. In the ancient world, the anointing with oil of a guest by a host was a sign of honouring them. Imagine with the psalmist, the almighty God inviting you to sit down <coughs> and dine with him and then showing you that degree of honour and respect by anointing you with oil. The Lord God Almighty honouring you with that anointing. And that's what the psalmist is conveying here. That's what the Lord God is willing to condescend to in the best possible use of the word. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. The invitation to dwell in the house of the Lord forever is echoed and reconfigured in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus himself promised not only would there be a dwelling found for those who trust in him and his father but that the Lord God and the Lord Jesus themselves would make their dwelling 
with and within those who trust in them. John's Gospel record in chapter 14, verse 22. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with the same name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them yes my father will love them and we will come and make our dwelling with them and finally some words from the book of Revelation Revelation chapter 19 and starting at verse 6. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of, a might, of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honour to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. <coughs> She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words that come from God. The Lord Jesus spoke through the Apostle John to those first century churches. And he spoke about those who would be honoured with a place. Writing to the church at Philadelphia in Revelation 3 Because you have obeyed my command to persevere. I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. It applied to the first century. It will apply to the end times. There will be a time of great testing to come. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. And verse 12 of Revelation 3 all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it and I will write on them the name of my God and they will be citizens in the city of my God the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God and I will also write on them my new name and that's the, the promise that the Lord Jesus still holds out to those who call upon his name who trust in him all who are victorious 
will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.